You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. And we are joined this week by special guest, friend of the show, Chris Garcia. Say hi, Chris. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Chris is the one who gifted us with that wonderful newspapers.com subscription. So that is the reason we're able to dig so deep into so many sources. So we are here this week with your dose of historical true crime. And we are going to be doing an absolute classic case and one that I have been both looking forward to approaching and anxious about approaching. Before we get started, don't forget about our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And there is a link in the show notes. We have so much fun stuff going over there. Our four weekly bonus episodes, and then our monthly big bonus episodes. So there is a lot of fun stuff you can find over there for just $5 a month. And you should come check it out. Give it a try. There's over 70 episodes there for you to listen to. A lot to binge. It's a fun time. We have such a fantastic time over there. So all that aside, it is time to talk about one of history's greatest mysteries, the Prince is in the Tower. Ba, ba, da, ba. By Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> We're actually going to start with the father of the princes of, of the Tower, in the Tower, by the Tower, around the Tower. Uh, I know prepositions. So <laughs> and so this is Edward IV. Now, I decided to have a little bit of fun, and throughout this, I just kind of shortened everybody's name. So this is Eddie Four. So, we're going to start with, well, he did die at age 41 in April 1483. At that point, he had reigned as King of England starting at age 19 with a little six-month break in there because you got to have a revolt sometimes. You know, you just, you got to give the king a chance to have a little vacation. You know, that's what you do. So... Uh, he was, you know, on the throne, then he was off the throne, then he was back on the throne, and then he died, at which point he was definitely off the throne. Sounds like after, after I had... eat Taco Bell, that's exactly what happens. I'm on the throne, off the throne, on the throne, off the throne, <laughs> then I die. <laughs> <laughs> so he had an interesting reign. His time on the throne saw the Lancastrians defeated and the House of York brought into being. The Wars of the Roses were just kind of petering out as his reign ended, and you would see a little bit more of them. But uh, there was uh, some more drama to come uh, after his death and the circumstances that followed. There was, there was, there was drama to come. We love drama. Swoon. Swoon. So we should talk about marriage, because that is very one really interesting aspect of Eddie Four's life and reign. And well, I also, thought you were talking uh, about you and after. me. I was going to say, we're both married already. We can't get married, Christy. It is, in fact, against the law in Pennsylvania. See, I took that I, into I, I which shocks me, joke. frankly. Because <laughs> you're like, drama? <laughs> Let's talk about marriage. And I'm like, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let me get more booze. <laughs> so... Eddie was a pretty sought-after match, and of course, 
With royalty, there's that added complication that marriages are frequently more political than anything. You're going to use them to forge or strengthen alliances. That's why you had like four-year-olds getting betrothed to each other. You know, just got to get get in there early, I guess. And so there were, you know, when he was about 21 years old, there were negotiations in progress with France to get him hitched to either the daughter or the sister-in-law of King Louis XI. Sort of really strengthened that England-France alliance that over the following centuries would just have its high and low points. And so his advisor, Warwick, was on top of this and actually traveled to France in order to conduct these negotiations in person and get real deep. I, I bet he was on top of it and got real deep. <laughs> Nicely done. So the thing is that uh, Eddie Four had a mind of his own because around uh, September, as these were going on, these negotiations, he's like, oh, there's something I should have mentioned, and that's that I'm already married. And uh, But I would like you to meet my wife, Elizabeth Woodville. And so they had secretly wed the spring or summer before, and he announced it in September. So they kept it quiet for a little while. And this really took everyone by surprise. It was not a political marriage. It was not a money marriage. I mean, he was a king. He didn't need money. But still, this was a king Marrying for love. Now, her name was uh, actually Elizabeth Gray, formerly Woodville. She's been married before. She was a widow. Scandal! I know this woman has been used. Whenever she goes to heaven, who will her husband be? <laughs> but she, she did have two sons, which is proof that she can bear children. And they didn't really know back then that the man is responsible, you know, not consciously, but responsible for determining the sex of a child. And so they assumed, you know, hey, two boys, then she'll probably have more boys because let's blame everything on the women. Henry VIII, cough, cough. It's a witch. <laughs> well, there was some of that too, yeah. So, And so not only does she have very little political power to speak of in her family at this moment. Not only that, her late husband had fought against Eddie's side in the recent war and died in the pivotal battle at which Eddie got his hard-won coronation. So she's basically, he's, he's, he's sleeping with the enemy, essentially. And so people are like, I don't know about this. And Warwick is very much, I don't know about this. He ended up going uh, over to the Lancastrian side. And he was like, so I'm on your side now because that's bullshit. I was working real hard for this whole France marriage thing. And then he springs this lady on me that was an enemy. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. This is back before women were allowed to have opinions or independent thought. You know, the good old days. So, uh, the good old days weren't always so good. No, they were not. So, yeah, because... You came up with it, Scott. Because her husband thought something, obviously, she must have agreed. Exactly, exactly. Yes, women were required to have the same opinions because, well, they didn't have any of their own because they don't have brains. They're just there for housework and baby making. So, so yeah. 
Warwick goes over to the Lancastrian side and would later work with Eddie Four's brother, George Plantagenet, whose name I never once spelled right on the first try, to briefly oust Eddie during the aforementioned revolt. That was in 1470. That revolt was put down, and then Eddie was back on the throne. As for Warwick's fate, he was killed in battle. Surprisingly, George didn't really see much immediate ramifications for going up against his brother. He defected, went back to his brother's side, and he was brought back into royal favor. Uh, Eddie made him a great chamberlain of England. He got a few earldoms. I guess, you know, having a little spat with your brother and and raising armies against him can kind of be a a bonding experience, I suppose. As long as there's no wedgies. Yeah. (laughs) That'll get you hung. Mm -hmm. Hanged. Hanged. Both. (laughs) Hanged, yes. Both. So. uh, He also got a few earldoms. But then uh, his astronomer was arrested and taken to the tower, and there was a little torture, as you do, and the astronomer told the authorities that his boss, George Plantagenet, had been thinking that maybe Eddie needed to die and had tried a little bit of magic to see if he could make that happen. Now, a woman probably a talked him into it. <laughs> well, a lot of his issues seem to stem from his dislike and resentment of Elizabeth and the Woodvilles. It's always about a woman. Mm-hmm. Always about a woman. Now, Eddie had put up with a lot, a lot of shit from George up to that point. I mean, a revolt, for God's sakes. But uh, and the thing was that George also, he was that guy. His life wasn't going so hot. And he was like, I'm going to blame this on anyone but me. <laughs> And I'm going to take it out on everyone else, too. So he ended up in the tower for treason. And Eddie just ran this whole trial against his brother, in which he was prosecutor, and his brother was absent. (laughs) So I guess you don't really get the uh, right to face your accuser in uh, 1400s England. Tried in absentia. Your favorite place. Yeah, that's right. My favorite place. <laughs> and where is Absentia? It's, a land. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he was obviously convicted at the trial at which he wasn't present, at which his brother, who probably now really hated him, acted as uh, prosecutor. And so there's a treason, and then, of course, there's an execution. Now, there are some fun rumors about this execution. We don't actually know what happened, but the rumor, the story goes in a manner that is unique for this show. He was drowned in a butt of wine. That's the As way I want to go. Same, same. Either that or in a debauch. But they can. there can be both. Yep. They're not mutually exclusive. They're far from mutually exclusive. They're they're, they're mutual. <laughs> I've always said if the butt's big enough, I'll do a debauch. <laughs> now, the thing here, though, that's interesting is that this was utterly humiliating to be drowned in a butt of wine uh, is just a massive way of saying, uh, yeah, you done fucked up. And just a... Na- well, it's a nasty way to go because actually what happens is 
your lungs can process alcohol to a level. Except for the part that it eventually kills you just as fast as water. But it makes you last a little longer. And that makes it even worse. And just... I wouldn't choose it, but if it happens, it happens. Remember what I said in the tiny. If you're not a patron member, you should be because you could hear the tiny. There, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a big value put on life. The fact that they knew, they knew you'd live just a little bit longer in wine, that you'd suffer more in wine. Imagine the trial and error that they had to go through to figure it out. Hey, George, have you noticed the last 17 people we killed in the wine? It lasts just a smidge longer. They don't even use the scientific process. Hell, they're still thinking elves live in the stomach. And, and now they're like going, like, wow, have you noticed? Yeah, I think you're right, George. I, I feel like somebody, like, they got twins one day, right? And they have <laughs> twins. And they're like, all right, I'm going to drown this one in wine. You drown this one in water. I have a plan. Their crime? Being <laughs> twins. <laughs> the great crime. Yeah. They duplicated themselves. Which? So there is a, a separate idea that some people say, and I don't know how much credence I give to this, but some people say that this was actually George's choice as an execution method, and he picked it because his brother was a big drinker. So this was kind of like a little dig, like, like, hey, bro, thanks for giving me all those wedgies. Now I'm going to die in a horrible manner that makes fun of you. Okay, so either way, it was a brother giving another brother a giant middle finger. We just don't know which rumor is true. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know who's raising the finger. It's the problem here. It's not really a problem. Actually, they, it's even simpler than that. They just ran out of water. Yeah, well, guys, <laughs> we got no water. <laughs> Shit, get the wine. <laughs> Jesus was here. All we have is wine. Um, so it's just going to have to be the wine. Sorry. Will that guy please yep. stop inviting him to the parties? He's ruining all of our good water. I had to take <laughs> a bath and I'm stained red. Yeah. Yeah. So, so after this, uh, Eddie, for uh, by the time he was around 40, he had seven living children out of the 10 that he'd had with his wife, Elizabeth Woodville, a pretty good rate for that time period that's a pretty good survival rate wait 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 wait. out of how many 10 that they had had together and she had had two prior to that so she had 12 altogether. so <laughs> amber is just, processing they're just falling out right like oh i'm pregnant oh there it is <laughs> <laughs> i imagine those last few births were pretty quick <laughs> yeah and what i love is that uh uh eddie for oh that's so disrespectful uh Ed Quattro, uh, <laughs> totally uh, liked to keep his dick wet. And uh, I, I mean, in doing obviously. so, he also had, I think, at least 11 illegitimate children, uh, of yeah. which I think six were recognized, as in he, he could keep them straight. <laughs> he had several mistresses. Uh, yeah, the, this this guy he he loved he loved to drink he he loved to get down with the ladies and uh, he 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 didn't do a half bad job of governing I guess but if you can't keep your own brother from rising cold against you then it's only a half bad job so <laughs> so yeah but he was 
like it completely gets overlooked i think um he was not only a a true definition of the word fuckboy uh he was 100% the man of the time like he is don draper uh in the four, the 15th century he is like every virtue you look for in a ruler he is it he is also fairly goddamn ruthless and you know the drowning in wine is probably not the worst thing that he ordered probably not as far as him being the man of his time chris would you go so far as to say that he was the king hail to the king baby you're fired <laughs> have fun bitches i'm out <laughs> oh Hey everybody, welcome to Old Timey Cry Me, I'm Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Your name's close enough, it works. <laughs> oh, just add a TY. So we'll have to add a beard onto the logo. Yes, he so. <laughs> he had many children. And what's important, of course, is the boys. Uh they're one of the girls will become important later as far as our story is concerned, but that's a rarity. Uh, so the eldest boy was Edward V, or Eddie Five. He was 12 when his father died. And the eldest boy after him was Richard. He was nine when his father died. And that was actually it for boys as far as legitimate children. All the rest had been girls except for one boy who'd only lived for two years. So we have Eddie Five and Richard, and because there's another Richard who's going to come up later, I will start referring to uh, Richard, Eddie's son, as Little Richard. So, <laughs> that's how <happening. laughs> <laughs> <Same. laughs> Chris loves to mute himself in the middle of singing. He can never commit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... Because really, for a second, I didn't realize he was muted, and I thought he hit that note that either only dogs can hear or we're going to randomly shit ourselves. <laughs> All the glass in my house is now broken. <laughs> I was really concerned for a minute. I'm like, did he hit that note? That what What's happening? <laughs> oh. Little Richard, if I may take a little side trip here, Little Richard has a no great story about him converting to Christianity. He goes, I went to a bridge and I took off my gold rings and I took off my gold chains and I threw them in and I took all the coins in my pocket and all the gold and the silver and the diamonds and the jewelry. I threw them in. Oh, good Lord Almighty. I wish I knew where that river emptied out into. <laughs> that is, without question, the worst little Richard imitation I have ever heard. That's what I was and going I applaud for. You for. That's what I was going for. So, <laughs> anyhow, in 1483, they are related. Eddie Five's they have to be. health. They have to be. Eddie 5's health started going downhill pretty quickly. He liked to overindulge, and by that I mean that he would eat too much, which we all do from time to time. Then he would take some emetics to vomit it all up and then go back to the table for round two or three or four or whatever it was. I've done that. And <laughs> so, and he did, he was, he was a, a decent sized guy. He was six, four or close to it. And 
Uh, actually, Henry VIII would have a similar frame. Uh, he was only 6'2", but they both like had that same build that ended up getting getting larger as as you just like you know ate a lot and then throw up and then ate a lot and then throw up. Which you know, I mean, I like to eat a lot, but I really hate throwing up. It's not worth it to me. It's not. <laughs> Doesn't matter have, how good the food is. They have what uh, wrestlers referred to as old bodybuilder physiques. Uh, because they manage to stay when you're actually that much in shape and you start to gain weight after you gain in a very particular way. And both, uh, both Eddie four, uh, the quattro and, uh, Hank Ocho, they both were physique men of their time who, when they got fat, they got bodybuilder guts. Um, the best example of this is a gentleman by the name of the crusher. Uh, who has a statue dedicated to him in, in Minneapolis, a wrestler of the olden times, who has the best of all the beer kegs you could possibly imagine. I'm working on mine. I'll get there. Little known fact, the Crusher's first name is actually Wesley. No, that's not true. I don't know anything. <laughs> it's uh, no, Reggie, Reggie Laskowski. Um, you <laughs> just besmirch the Crusher. Sure. Well, uh, that's what I do. I besmirch. I besmirch, Chris. So... Uh, so yes, he Eddie for uh, the Quattro. He died on April 9th at age 41. We don't know the cause for sure because nobody was actually recording anything. They didn't bother writing down symptoms or the progression of illness. So who the heck knows? But some options we have are poison, typhoid, uh, malaria, which seems doubtful because it was early spring in England, and I don't think the mosquitoes are really biting. And all the other methods of getting malaria were not really things like trans blood transfusions, organ transplants, sharing needles. Like uh, it, it seems highly doubtful. And then the possibly apoplexy from all that overeating. And then finally, probably the most likely, uh, he had gone on a fishing trip, caught a cold, it turned into pneumonia, and the doctor shockingly sucked. <laughs> so they weren't really able to help with that so much. So. Uh, two of the other popular theories are syphilis, uh, which is uh, highly possible. If you think about it, uh, he could have had it. Um, but the one that I actually believe is that... Uh, uh, Ed for uh, in his cycling of uh, eating, drinking, because there'd be he'd do long periods of uh, not necessarily fasting, but he would have his sort of uh, it was a sine wave of how much he would indulge. And it is pretty well known that people who do this, what they call uh, down cycles, uh, people who do down cycles on a lot of alcohol and uh, overindulgence. When they die, they tend to be coming off of one. Um, another wrestling example is Eddie Guerrero. His heart basically gave out when he was on a down cycle. He was actually clean. So there's that, that sort of thing happens. And that could have been it as well. Are um, you saying also, I should not go back on my explain. diet? <laughs> that, that's exactly what you should not do. I'm going to go get a pizza. Uh, I'll be back in about 20 minutes. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of different options for how he died. We'll never know. It's not the biggest mystery <laughs> that we have to approach this episode. But it is kind of curious that I, I, I don't think that Amber's idea about them experimenting with twins was even possible because they were not thinking in the, any sort of advanced manner if they weren't even recording symptoms. <laughs> That's the basics. That's the basics. I mean, for science. For science. But in that day's 
in those days, not for science, apparently. I don't care what year it is. I would have done that shit. You would have, yes. If there was an I'm Amber back then. I'm not record it. I'm not writing that shit down. That's called <laughs> evidence. <laughs> okay, but it's the king, so maybe we want to know how he dies. Whereas with the twins, who cares? So Nobody cared so. how anyone died. Nobody gave a they, shit. They, They're they... dead. <laughs> <laughs> so as... Eddie Forlay dying, he made a move that ended up kind of resounding as far as uh, effects would go. He named his brother Richard, Duke of Gloucester, as Lord Protector over the soon-to-be new king, uh, Eddie V, the young 12-year-old who would be about to be taking his father's place. So let's talk about succession, because that is a really, really a linchpin of this case. There were a lot of succession issues that were going to be raised uh, in this time. There was a, a lot of legitimacy of various things being questioned. So uh, Eddie Four's status as a legitimate child had been questioned quite a bit over the years. Although, as far as anybody knew, that was just a rumor. But it was a rumor that had been used to doubt his legitimacy as a ruler. And after his death, could be used to question his son's legitimacy as king and then as heir presumptive. So King Edward V and Richard would be the heir presumptive. So there, the thing about this rumor is it might have been started by Eddie's own mother, she was, she, right? She was furious about his secret marriage to Elizabeth Woodville, and she kind of wanted him off the throne after he pulled that. So she was like, I might just go telling everybody that he's illegitimate. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's your son. You have power through him. Why are you doing this? I fucked the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. well, there's actually, the big thing is that Elizabeth Woodville was a commoner. Um, she had dirty, filthy blood that can't be allowed to rule on the throne. Well, there is that too. Yeah, that that is very much like God, commoners, peasants. We can't let them have power. They'll get ideas. So yeah, that was the that thing. Hasn't it really hasn't. That was the thing that was pissing Eddie's mother off. And here's here's the thing. This is interesting to me. Okay, so Eddie Four's father was Richard Plantagenet. I had to type it again. And he has since had his whereabouts around the expected time of conception kind of investigated by historians. And it does appear that he, there's the chances that he was around at the time that Eddie Four would have been conceived, it's a little unlikely. He would have been on campaign during that time period several days march away from his wife uh it was probably the first week of august 1441 and he was on campaign three weeks before and after that that is a little bit sus i'm thinking <laughs> just a little bit now i hear what you're saying premature birth yes that could give some wiggle room it's not noted in any historical records but we've just discussed historical record keeping in this time period and it's not great so so and i have kids uh carter was several weeks late 
And Kennedy, my second, was three and a half weeks early, perfectly healthy. Yeah. Uh, I have twins. So obviously they're... early. Uh, and they were three months early. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah, 28 weeks. Uh, it's not at all unlikely that, uh, and also pre 16th century, uh, labor did tend to be one to two weeks shorter. I, uh, uh I had a kidney stone, uh, four weeks late, uh, <laughs> three quarters of an inch long, half an inch wide. That's really all I have to say about that. Where do I send flowers? It was bad. It was 18 years ago. It was bad. So he's fine now, I assure you. No, I'm not. That kidney stone can, can enlist in the army now. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had his kidney stone at the same time I had my daughter. We were both so, wandering the halls of the hospital side by side going, oh, God. Hand on the back, like, oh. Because for a long That's time, a the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. And we talked it up to Amber and I spent a lot of time together. I was having sympathy labor pain. No, I was pregnant too. That's uh, that's literally an episode of Friends, you guys. Mm -hmm. Let you know. Yeah. Just letting no, you know right now. We we uh, have been a whole TV show for decades. Yeah, you have been. So, <laughs> but the, okay. So the thing about Eddie Ford's conception is that yeah, premature birth. There, there's questions. Nothing is 100% certain, and that doesn't mean like just because his father was away, or you know, possible bio father. That doesn't mean there wasn't a break in the fighting or a time that he came home for whatever reason. Yeah, and, you know, in the bed springs got a little freaky. The neighbor. Like, exactly. He's you, gone for weeks. Come on over. You can't say 100% either way. So, or even, you can't even say 75% either way. There's, there's so many questions that either side that you bring up, you can poke holes in like a, <laughs> like a condom. <laughs> so... I was literally in my head, like, just going through all the clothes that she would have had back then. I'm like, quickies would have been hard. And then you said poke holes in, and I was just, like, gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my fault. So, so yeah. There's, there's that. Uh, there's other factors that we're going to bring up. There's a lot. But, but just know that in addition to this already prior existing issue of Eddie Four's status as a legitimate child being in question, Duke of Gloucester has a lot of ammo that he's ready to use. And as we come upon it, he's going to use it. But so that at this point in time, Richard, immediately after his brother's death, is the Lord Protector of the Realm. And Eddie the Fifth is the king. He's 12. And so the Lord Protector thing, basically, you have uh, a regent, especially when you have a, a minor on the throne, you need somebody to help guide them. And it may, sometimes it's just advising, sometimes it's making decisions, a lot depends on the factors, and a lot depends on how much control, really, the regent has over the whole situation, because this can be very much used to... Uh, as a basically be the king without being the king. You can be the king, but have less of a chance that they'll execute you for being the king. <laughs> and it is universally a disaster. Uh, mm -hmm. Almost never is a regency uh, a well-run uh, thing. The most recent one, I think, was Henry V, uh, 
uh, before this, I think was the last uh, Minority King. Uh, but yeah, it is terrible. Just really, really bad. Like, like not good. Like poor. Yeah, not, I think generally <laughs> not positive. Somebody who gets in this position they uh, of regent, they get into it through manipulation and finagling because that's what they're good at and they see an opportunity and they go for it. And that person is not necessarily going to make decisions that are good for the kingdom. They're going to make decisions that are good for them. And that's, I think, that the, the very nature of the fact that the person that it takes to get into this position is capable of doing ruinous things is part of the, a huge part of the problem. <sighs> So it's like a, it's like having a literary agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. So... <laughs> you found oh. a sore spot. <laughs> that is a sore spot. Please don't poke it. <laughs> Eight years of my life. So... <laughs> I, I'm a loyal person to a fault, literally. So. Uh, Eddie the fifth, Eddie five, young Eddie, 12 year old King, because definitely we should be making 12 year olds in charge and then manipulative people in charge of them. You were shitting yourself 10 years ago. Be King. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He was at Ludlow Castle, his father's childhood home, where he'd been sent to be raised and educated. That was 140 miles from London, where, you know, all the important shit goes down. So... And the directions for his life out there was that he was to be as educated, but not, they weren't going to just spend all of his time in education. He was also specifically supposed to be allowed recreation time and rest time. He had, of course, a whole household there. It was specified that there were not to be any of the following at Ludlow Castle. Swearers. Scott, you're out. Brawlers. Amber, you're out. (laughs) Backbiters. Chris, do you backbite? (laughs) You'll see. <laughs> Common hazarders. I, I'll, I'll take that one. <laughs> Adulterers. None of us. Whoa. And <laughs> Not anymore. Or Not anymore. Just in general, anyone who would engage in words of ribaldry, which is this entire podcast. Thank you for listening to our ribaldry words. I know it's ribald. I know. Thank you for listening to our words of ribaldry. <laughs> When are we getting to the butt stuff? Yeah, I'm also <laughs> guessing there weren't a lot of... Uh, they probably had a thing against Jews. Uh, almost positive. Uh, but one of the interesting things is he was already a grown-up. He was already doing martial pursuits. He was already uh, well-spoken. The letters of his that exist sound like someone who knows what they're doing. Which is incredible because people don't know what they're doing now until their early mid fifties. I don't know. And there's yeah, there's right. a certain weirdness, like like whenever you read letters from like the common man during the American Civil War, my dearest Rebecca, the war stains my heart like a like a red mark upon my soul. I look upon each night as the sunset goes down and wonder to myself, why must man do this to another man? And I just can't, I cannot imagine the same thing being said by, by like, like soldiers today, you know, it's a, dearest yeah. Becky, I killed a bunch of Arabs today. <laughs> Mow the lawn. Send me <laughs> pictures of your then. titties. <laughs> so actually speaking of, of ribaldry, 
Uh, I have really a. Hoping you're going with titties. I, well, I mean, maybe sure. I have an an old timey crimey uh, section classic. Pubs, British pubs. <sighs> I have collected the names of some pubs near Ludlow Castle. If you're new to us, I don't do this very often, but occasionally when we hop over the pond to England. I will collect the names of some current day pubs in an area that we're talking about. And it's because I think that British pub names are so wonderfully whimsical. I wish that we named stuff like that here, but instead you have like Johnson sports pub and you know, or Johnson, it's not even a pub Johnson sports bar. <laughs> Sorry. I went Boston for some reason. I don't know why. And not even good Boston. <laughs> so somebody, somebody opened a bar called something like but, the broken revelation. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So here are some of the wonderful pubs crass. near Ludlow Castle. I wouldn't Castle. go fancy. <laughs> so we have Ye Old Bullring Tavern. Mm. Got something? Yeah. We have Blood Bay. No, no. <laughs> England's food system uh, is already weird. I don't want to be eating at some place called Blood Bay. Well, I, I swear they make the blood sausage. I have a review from Google's reviews of this. It's simply a pub. What a great idea. <laughs> I think maybe everybody's trying gastro pubs in this area, and they're like, I just want to go and order a freaking beer. No. Okay, I have a different theory on this because I've seen it firsthand. So I used to work at a place that got a lot, a lot of terrible reviews. And so the owner, Queen Bitch, uh, made her son, who was uh, um, maybe a little Bitch. less Don't than, say, just, just... Less than okay. uh, write a bunch of reviews and try to be different people in all of them. And they were all hysterically terrible. And I think that's what happened here. I know whose reviews I'm looking up after this episode is over. I know what I'm going to be doing tonight. So, it was on uh, Google reviews because Google wouldn't take it down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Not nice because that woman is evil, but so uh, another one was the wicked grin. That's a good one. It's I fun. like that. I yeah. like that. There's a, a pub just called Squirrel. Squirrel. And Squirrel. <laughs> and I stopped at this one because uh, there's no there's no topping it. The Unicorn Inn. Unicorns in where? <laughs> that's the question isn't it yeah. so now that that diversion is over thank you for joining us for English pub I really want to come across the English pub that's like cunt cabernet yeah. you, for <laughs> you forgot one you forgot the rose and crown well the rose okay here's the thing the rose and crown is there and it's and there's a also crown in every single in the story. town in England <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. There's a rose and crown that's important later in the story, but it's not that one. It's well, the one that's like miles and miles away. True. But uh, actually, I think they may be the same one because there was one deed uh, back in the 11th century. Uh, yes. So and, and pubs move. You know why they move? Because the British forget where they put them. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, the big thing is getting the new king to London so that he can be officially made king. And the Eddie Five needs to be taken to London. There's an agreement that he'll be crowned on May 4th. And keep, remember that the death 
uh, happened in early April. He finds out several days later, so like mid-April. And then there's actually an agreement made that maybe they're not going to honor Eddie Four's wishes and make Richard not protector, not regent. He'll be instead the council leader, which still has some power, but really isn't the power that Richard is looking for. And so Eddie Five is starting off for London. He is accompanied by his uncle, Anthony Woodville. So he is the second Earl Rivers. And that is under Elizabeth's order. She wants her family surrounding the soon-to-be or almost kind of new king. And in addition to that, Eddie Five's half-brother from Elizabeth's first marriage. So she's really getting her family to try and surround and protect him. And of course, they have an armed guard of 2,000 men. Feels pretty safe. Feels like like 600 men certainly couldn't do anything here. Uh, So Richard wrote to Anthony and was like, hey, I'm Lord Protector. Why don't we meet up on the route and we can, you know, like hash things out. And he's also writing to authorities and expressing his right as Lord Protector. So that whole idea of them just trying to take that away from him, he was not taking that lying down. He is doing his diplomacy thing. He is doing his manipulations. He's sending letters. He's trying to do his best to make sure that his power is not taken away. Because he had a taste and he liked it. So on April 29th... It's addictive. It's probably the most addictive thing in the world is power. Because if you get power, you can pretty much get anything. Mm -hmm. It's better than money. It is. Because then you can get money with the power. Right? (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Hypocritical AF Podcast. Hypocritical AF Podcast is a weekly audio and video show hosted by Albert Figueroa. Tune in every week for random conversation, random rants, and a wide variety of interviews where the conversations range from hysterical to, appropriately, hypocritical. The Hypocritical AF Podcast is unfiltered, on the edge, and 100% organically built from the ground up. New episodes drop every Wednesdays on all streaming platforms, on YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the Hypocritical AF Podcast today. So on April 29th, by uh, a prearrangement between the, the two parties here on this journey, the Eddie Five entourage is a little over halfway And then they're going to meet up with uh, Richard. He has his own entourage of 600 men. And it's likely that Anthony sent the little king away for this part. And uh, he stayed at the the Rosen Crown Inn in Stony Stratford that evening. There's a plaque at the the site noting this. So that may be where he spent uh, last night before a lot of drama. There is a dinner that night. I love the Stony Strafford. I really do. It's there's just so much there. There's like the cock, the bull, the two the two hotels in the center of town. That's where that's where a lot of people think that the phrase a cock and bull story actually comes from is the Stony Strafford because on one side of town you have the cock, the other side of town you have the bull, and where you meet in the center, that's where all the wild stories are from. 
Okay. I love it. Yeah. I, I did not know it was cock and bull. I thought I always thought it was cock and balls. <laughs> and I know where they meet. And it's not in town. No, at the shaft. <laughs> it is downtown. <laughs> oh man. And yeah, there's there is a movie, a nineteen eighty seven cult film that was filmed there, uh, in Stony Stratford with Nail and I. If you haven't seen With Nail and I for the love of God, go see it. It is one of the weirdest things ever put in film. Hmm. So, thank you for that information on uh, Stony Stratford. I had not looked that up, so Sorry. thank you. I love the cock and bull like origin story. That's fantastic. I, I had no idea. Balls too. Yeah, she does. Yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> so, it is. Yeah, the, there was a dinner that night with. Anthony and Richard and both sides meeting up and everything kind of seemed fine. I don't think that they suspected anything, but the very next day, Richard has Anthony Woodbill and Eddie Five's half brother arrested and he seizes the young King. He has Eddie Five under his control now. So Anthony and the half brother would be imprisoned and would eventually be charged with treason against the Lord Protector. And Richard had the 2,000 men accompanying the supposed new king dismissed. Eddie does, even as a 12-year-old, protest this. But even though he's king and he's, he's kind of like an adult in that world, he's still 12. And he's, not, he's running up against a, a, an absolutely very competent manipulator. I think Chris had something. Yes, I do. Um, so the thing that is really fascinating here is that he goes to the dinner. They have a great time, some drinks, some fun, some laughs, and maybe just a couple of tears. But uh, And then people make a big deal of this, and then he has him arrested. There is a theory that this was done on purpose to set uh, Tony Woodville uh, at ease so that mm -hmm. they could take him. And this actually makes sense if he really believed, and this is a very question, that Tony Woodville was a threat to the crown. Taking the princes to the tower makes sense in that case. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, there is no fucking way Anthony Woodville presented any sort of threat to the protectorate at the time. There's to the boys, uh, but this does highlight something that will become very, very apparent uh, through this entire story is that everyone saw the boys as a threat except for the Woodvilles. And everyone saw the Woodvilles as a threat except for the Woodvilles. Maybe, maybe they, they had ideas, but I do think that there was more made out of their potential threat than actually existed. I do think that, that, Richard, I honestly think Richard did some projecting. He was like, well, I want to use this child for power. So obviously everybody else, especially his family, is going to want to use him for power and in the same exact way, too. So I should probably get them out of the way so that I can use this child for power. Correct. So. <laughs> oh, yay. Short story, short podcast listeners. That one was for you. So... <laughs> Chris has got to do at least one every episode or else um, uh, shameless. <laughs> I don't know what the punishment is. <laughs> so, 
or, or else I'll totally forget what story we're going to read next week. So. <laughs> I, guess. I already have. So anyhow. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> um, so yeah, Richard definitely is, is, is really set on centralizing his power and getting rid of anyone who is even a potential threat to it so he can control the young king. So he puts Eddie Five in the Tower of London, quote unquote, for his protection. Of course, no threats have been made against him that we know of, except for maybe from Richard. So, And the Woodvilles do try to get an army up in order to cut Richard off at the knees, but they're really not able to, which again is another way in which their power was rather overblown by Richard. So, and then Richard is, he sees that this is going to rile everybody up. This is going to get people upset. So he's working to ease everyone's fears about him. He's putting neutral people in positions of power, or at least supposedly neutral people. And he manages to get that Lord Protector position that he wanted so bad. So he's back in the game. Now, the original coronation date of May 4th has already passed. So they set a new one for June 24th, and that is when Eddie Five will be coronated. Coron- yes, coronated. And quarantined. they're already getting... <laughs> That's when he will be quarantined. Welcome to 2020, <laughs> well, people. He's kind of already quarantined, wouldn't you say, up he's in the tower? trend. <laughs> yeah, we picked up on it just like 600 years later. And so they're getting ready for this this coronation. They're minting coins. They're getting all the celebrations in order. And Elizabeth Woodville, she's looking around and she's seeing, they've taken my son, the future king, to the tower. Uh, I'm in danger. And so is especially my second eldest son, who would be king if anything happened to his big brother. So she takes little Richard, the Duke of York, with her. So... Uh, now we have Little Richard and we have Big Richard, so enjoy that. <laughs> no, can, we do not have Big can we Dick. Call him no, Dick Amber, no, damn Scott, it. no, no, I said no to both of you before you could even say it. <laughs> she saw her eyes light up. It was like, damn it, no! Yeah, yeah, I know. Hey, I know Amber, your tells. Amber, <laughs> Little Dick and Big Dick. Big Dick. <laughs> so, Elizabeth Woodville needs sanctuary so she goes to Westminster Abbey and hang on till the end of the episode because I have an interesting fact about Elizabeth Woodville and Westminster Abbey and her tendency to go there for sanctuary so she goes she to the took, Abbey can you hide little dick she goes we can even to the Abbey dick. with little Richard and on June 16th Big Richard is like screw your sanctuary and he takes a bunch of men to the tower. They're trying so hard not to laugh. Bunch of men to the I tower, worked so eh? hard <laughs> on this research. Screw that I sanctuary, big dick. <laughs> I worked so hard on this research. So hard. Hey, look, rails over there. <laughs> I'm trying to hold We it should in. get back on them. You can see the veins. I'm trying to write it in. I'm sorry. You can't actually see the veins. So, <laughs> he's like your sanctuary means nothing and he takes a bunch of men to the tower and says look you have two options here either you hand your son little Richard over or I'll have fun storming the castle <laughs> you know so and 
Amber, you have made sexual gestures with your hands 18 times during this episode. You're the one saying all the dirty words, Christy. Guess what? Guess what, Amber? Next week, you're presenting. <laughs> Have fun! And you know what I'm going to be sitting there doing the whole time? <laughs> Just this. Oh, the whole time! Making sexual gestures. I'm going <laughs> to... I see nothing wrong with this whatsoever. No, it's a good thing I already have to at the sex time. So. And... What was I even saying? What am I doing? What's happening? Oh, this is a train wreck. Oh, I I was so anxious and I had reason apparently. So, all right. Fuck y'all. I'm powering through. So, <laughs> Richard is like, either you give me the kid or I'm going to take the kid. And so Elizabeth Woodville is like, okay. All right, easy, big fella. I'll give you the kid. And so uh, little Richard is whisked off to the tower to be with his big brother, Eddie Five. Now, of course, again, this is for their protection. And for a while, they do have a group of attendants waiting on them. But sometime around this period, probably sooner rather than later, someone cuts off the attendants' access to the boys. So... No one's really waiting on them, seeing them, and that is where a lot of questions start to arise. Meanwhile, Richard had already been gearing up his attempts to delegitimize them. And so he starts in with a new tactic, and that is the pre-contract stuff. So, supposedly, according to Big Richard, there was a pre-contract for marriage between Eddie Four and Lady Eleanor Talbot. Obviously not the woman that he ended up marrying. And that was made before his marriage to Elizabeth Woodville. So if he had already promised to marry somebody else, according to the way they did things at the time, that nullified Eddie and Elizabeth's marriage. And if it nullified their marriage, it made their kids illegitimate. So in Richard's world, therefore, he is the one true king. Now, this is actually a really big deal in the history of English history. Uh, because this led to the uh, to two of the most important statutes in the history of England, and we'll talk about them probably a little later. But one of the key things about this is that it did not only delegitimize Edward and Richard. It delegitimized everyone who could possibly secede within the Woodville line. Which is important because mm -hmm. that keeps the common blood from tainting the traditional royal blood. Uh, this gets even a little more convoluted because of what happens at the end of this story, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah, maybe. We, we might get to it. Uh, so if, you know, if we have time. Uh, so it is uncertain whether this pre-contract actually existed or whether this was just another one of Richard's ploys, but he really, Richard is one of those guys, he, he throws spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, you know? And uh, the pre-contract is just another piece of spaghetti. So he starts getting this kind of passed around by having his powerful supporters 
working to persuade those who are less convinced of this. So, you know, the, the powerful people who are like, eh, I don't really buy it. He'd send his guys around to be like, you know, you should buy it. And here's why. And whatever else they would say. And so he's really also throwing in some of that stuff that maybe Eddie four wasn't even legitimate to begin with. And therefore I'm the obvious heir because, you know, I'm the eldest brother of my line. I'm the eldest male. So there you go. So on June 25th, the day after that originally scheduled coronation was supposed to happen, Richard has Eddie five deposed as King. He has him taken off the throne before he can even be crowned. And the assembly of the Lords and commons says that Richard is now the King that very same day. Poor Tony Woodville loses his head and not in the fun, you know, oh, I'm having a weird day kind of way, but in the, you know, gets it chopped. So, and the thing is, well, not the thing is, but an interesting fact, Anthony Woodville had been a very accomplished writer and translator in England. One of his translations was the very, was one of the very first books to be printed in England. I mean, that's freaking something, you that, know? That's, yeah, you're right. That's something. And that book was deal. Fifty Shades of Grey, and it was an impressive <laughs> translation from the original garbage. Um, there's a whole lot here to be uh, unpacked, but there's actually one thing that's really fascinating is that there is a line of thought that Richard was throwing things at the wall to see what sticked because he legitimately thought there was a threat to the monarchy. And I know we'll talk, of course, later about the Tudor propaganda aspect of this, but what is really the truth here is that he could easily have been saying, if I don't find a way to get the Woodville line off of the throne, that the monarchy isn't going to last. And one of the really fascinating things is that if you look at the history of revolts, because they get revolts all the time in England, we need one now. Um, the last one was in the 70s with punk rock. Um, but, you know, they would get revolts all the time. It only takes one revolt, even one poorly numbered revolt, to end up overthrowing the king. And I really think Richard was trying to prevent that, which only led to him actually making it happen. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. His very actions ensured that the thing he feared most would happen to him. So, yeah, it's an interesting I'm point. Me. <laughs> yes. It's a very interesting point that he he may not have been doing this maliciously or manipulatively. He may have been doing it for what he considered uh, you know, the good of the kingdom, you know. So, yeah. Nobody ever starts a war thinking they're wrong. Uh, well, I mean, I think some people acknowledge that maybe they're starting a war for the wrong reasons, but they they're still the right reasons. If it depends on the person, if, if somebody is like, I'm going to start a war in order to get into and stay in power because I want power. They might be honest with themselves that really their main goal is power. That might not be a, 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 a right thing to do. That might be wrong. 
but they're happy with it if the end result is they have power. They can still recognize it. But I think uh, you're, you're right in a lot of cases. Nobody ever is like, you know, I think I might be a little bit wrong or I'm at least questioning this. But we should go ahead and have a war. on Reddit. Like, am I the asshole here? Yes. Amber, let me introduce you to a guy by the name of Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Speaking of dicks. So, so, yes, this is one way or the other, whatever his motives, whatever his reasonings, Richard is coming into power. And on June 26th, he takes the throne sort of unofficially by sitting on it. He's encouraged to do so by his supporters, but that sitting on it really cements this. And on July 6th, he will be crowned. King Richard III, or Ricky III, of England. Dick III. <laughs> I know, I know. There's a uh, porn. So, oh, Amber? No, I was just going to say, there's a porn about that. I'm sure of it. <laughs> what the, but there's also something interesting. Since uh, he did have scoliosis, a curved spine, technically he was Bent Dick. Oh, can we call him Bent Dick? You're really not allowed to. You saw me drinking. We're on camera. I very nearly spit all over the microphone. That's expensive. You would be replacing that, sir. You would be replacing that. You'd have to pay me. And I'll me. have you know that Scott brought that, <laughs> Scott bought that new at an inflated price. Highly inflated mm -hmm. and not on eBay at all. Like $750? <laughs> I mean, you really were stupid to take that deal. But, you know, it's got a nice microphone. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. anyhow, Jesus Christ. Um, here's an interesting fact that was brought up in one of my sources, and that's the fact that I mentioned Eddie Four's choice in spouse may have made a lot of this possible, really. It, it had ramifications that, that echoed forward into the future, far forward, beyond Eddie's life and even Elizabeth's. Because the Woodvilles, as Chris said, were not powerful. They were not a powerful English family. They weren't a French royal family. And so on the one hand, Richard III may have been like, you know, I'm really worried that these people are going to try to seize power. And so I should take care of this. On the other hand, because they really did not have entrenched power until the marriage, he may have been like, you know, there's an opening here for me. There's a weakness I can exploit. And it's the fact that they're commoners and they don't have enough power to stand up and fight back. Had Edward married French royalty? That would be a little harder for Richard III to fight, right? You know? So, you gotta unmute, Chris. <laughs> don't tell me how to live my life. Um, the Woodvilles were rich. And that was actually a key possible aspect to the uh, marriage of uh, of the guy who was the king, whose name I have now come, uh, Edward the Fourth. Um, <laughs> thank you uh, to Eduardo Cinco Quattro, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Woodville was that there was money there. And you also have to remember at this point, England isn't a thing. It is a whole bunch of little things. And Edward was the most powerful overall. But even in the early days, Richard was more powerful in the north. 
and had a lot of followers. So when he came to the throne or to the throne, um, he had the followers from the north. There was a high and very strong potential there having been a civil war at this point. The Woodville family could have funded a portion of that. And so there's this whole aspect of traditional power, particularly military power, versus financial power. And having that sort of conflict always leads to terrible things. Uh, you can read that in my book, Stuff Chris Says. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about Richard III is the fact that, or at least about how my research went during this, is that uh, he basically, he keeps on coming up with different reasons. And like I said, he's, he's a throw spaghetti at the wall. Maybe he's just doing it to see what sticks, or maybe he's doing it with like good intentions in mind, and these are actual real motivations of his. But one way or the other, as I was doing my research, I kept on finding him come up with, this is a reason why this child shouldn't be king, and this is a reason why this child shouldn't be king. He's, he's one of those guys, he's the and another thing guy. You know, like he, he's fighting and he's fighting and he's fighting. And then he's like, and oh, no, I've had enough of this. And he walks out and then he comes storming back and he's like, and another thing, you are illegitimate. Oh, that, I just like how he, 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 he's very determined and he, he just does not stop. So it's fun. So as for the princes, the big question of the hour and a half to... After Richard III's coronation, they're, they're still said to have been seen around the tower here and there. But as the summer goes on, that gets rarer and rarer. And the last recorded sighting, again, they didn't like to record things very much, put in pen to paper. Not a big thing in these days. But after June 16th, so before the coronation, is the last recorded sighting of the boys. And they were playing in the tower garden and shooting some arrows, which is just very, I think, hmm. it hurts your heart a little bit. Yeah, it hurts your heart. Yeah. There's a, actually an interesting so. thing. Um, Richard III in the, what do you call that? Uh, the budget for the coronation had money set aside for a special suit of clothes for Lord Edward. Uh, huh. which would have been the deposed the Edward V. So mm -hmm. either one, he was really covering his tracks, which would actually seem likely because there's no notation for Little Dick, but yeah. there is 100% for Eddie. So it's either that or he legitimately was still alive. And at that point, perhaps Richard was dead, but we don't know. And there's more questions. Stay and tuned. And that, yeah, definitely stay tuned because that will definitely would lend credence to one of the theories. So, so yeah, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. But, um, so yeah, their last recorded sighting was June 16th. After that summer, they're never seen again, even in rumor. Well, I mean, well, we'll get there. Uh, and so Dominic Mancini was a diplomat and he had been an Eddie Boar's court in the lead up up to the king's death. And according to him, the princes were, quote, withdrawn to the inner apartments of the tower proper and day by day began to be seen more rarely behind the bars and windows until at length they ceased to appear altogether 
already there is a suspicion that they have been done away with. And this is like contemporary reporting and some of the very little contemporary reporting we have from this. Because diplomats, their job was to write back to their home country with all the happenings and gossip and rumors and what they thought, you know, like, I think this person is rising in power. I think this person is falling in power. I think this is what the queen or king is trying to do. And so he would have written back home, like, yeah, I don't think these boys are around anymore. So (laughs) it's definitely, it's amazing to have that. We don't have a lot of contemporary reporting. We have that and the knowledge that already yeah they, well, we, we haven't seen these boys for a little while i think there's something uh something little suspicious going on here that says something there was an idea that they were moved to the white tower the white tower will come up uh in the future so real quick the fates of the other parties involved here that weren't the boys uh, basically richard iii and elizabeth woodville really are, are who i'm gonna hit up here so Richard III was only king. After all this work, he was only king and only alive for a little over three years, at which point he was defeated by Henry Tudor at the Battle of Bosworth Field. He was said to have been killed with a halberd while trying to reach and kill Henry Tudor. It was said he actually got within a sword's length of him, but then Henry Tudor's men got him and they really went to town. They said that his helmet and his skull kind of became one <laughs> after that beating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was known to have been buried somewhere in Leicester. But over time, that location itself was lost to history until 2012, when after decades of searching and speculating, a project to find his remains broke ground. And basically, they were really accurate they found his remains on the first day of digging that was well the his his almost definite remains the the skull had severe injuries the spine showed signs of scoliosis while mitochondrial dna connected the remains to descendants of richard iii's sister there has been a little criticism of that it doesn't 100 percent pinpoint the remains as richard iii's because it could be several of his male relatives who share a female ancestor because that's kind of what mitochondrial dna is about but it's it's i think especially given the location which is where the battle was and where in the general area where historically he had been buried the manner in which he was buried which was kind of like a little bit like we're trying but we're hurrying (laughs) so i think it's very very strong chance that that is richard the third's remains also the things like the, the damage to the skull the scoliosis which he was depicted in uh, shakespeare's richard the third not necessarily as having scoliosis but definitely having like a slumped shoulder and i can tell you that when my back acts up and i have like a bulging disc my one shoulder goes down and my other shoulder goes up and jackson says uh honey you're crooked <laughs> and i'm like i'm gonna go lay on my heating pad for a long time oh no even though ice yeah and the mitochondrial DNA is is pretty much a hundred percent that it was him. Um, what's even there's just like there's there's one historian who's like maybe not that there's that one guy who has to poke holes in everything, and that's that guy. So go yeah. ahead. Um, when I did my issue of Journey Planet about Richard the uh, Third, we talked with uh, one of the people who had been involved with the looking for Richard 
uh, program, or as I call it, uh, Searching for Dick. And uh, it was really an interesting aspect of this was that they didn't know they would be right. They figured they would be, but they didn't know. They didn't know. They honestly, for years and years and years, the Richard III Society uh, said that, uh, no, he was not a hunchback. He did not have scoliosis. Um, but in fact, he did. Um, and the injuries are 100% uh, uh, consistent with the halberd. There is an interesting fact, though, is what he wasn't buried with. And that were the adornments and vestments that would have been expected to have been buried with a king. Mm, but if the people he's fighting against don't believe that he should be the king or ever had the right to be the king, then would they bury those things with him if they were the ones who buried them, buried him? Interesting point there. Uh, since he was buried in Greyfriars, uh, it is likely that, and one thing that is very true of the Tudor conquest is that they were at least respected the form of tradition going up to that point. Um, so it's unlikely. Also, grave robbers could have gotten it. There are, there are a few different possibilities, but that I'm was something grave that robbers. was really, really interesting, I thought. Yeah, I vote grave robbers. <laughs> so... And then as far as Elizabeth Woodville, she would actually find power again by switching back to the Lancastrian side, the one that her husband first fought on, or sorry, first husband fought on before he died, and then she married the king. Jesus Christ, pick a side one. And I know, right? She's back and forth, she's back and forth. She married her eldest daughter to Henry VII, the Henry Tudor who had defeated Richard III, who he became king, and this united the Lancastrian and York houses and basically ended the War of the Roses. So that was, uh, that's, that's the end of Game of Thrones, and we can start, uh, stop watching uh, season eight now. So, um, But Bridgerton! Elizabeth, but Bridgerton! <laughs> but Bridgerton. Elizabeth was now Dowager Queen, but Fortune really spins on a dime, and hers uh, pretty quickly spun her right to a nunnery Probably against her will. She and Henry VII had a disagreement. We'll talk about that a little bit. Possibly. And she was there for five years before dying in 1492. And of course, she was buried with her second husband, King Eddie IV. King Quattro. Hey everyone, this episode went just a little long, so we're going to make this a two-parter. Join us again next week for part two of The Princes in the Tower. We have a shout out to new patron. I'm going to do my best here, but my voice, it's been like two and a half hours of talking here. So three, four at this point, I don't even know. So at this point, yes, uh, we've been we've been on here since eight <laughs> doing other things too. So a shout out to new patron Amanda Peters. Who's a little tinny, but I think I, I, I'm okay with it. And Amanda sent us the most wonderful note, warmed all of our hearts, and we are so our grateful to have her on board. Hearts. In, until Amanda, before I, I listen to your note, because I can't read and Christy read it for me. <laughs> before I heard that, 
I was actually going to go out in the backyard, dig a hole and just cover it over and maybe have a microphone down there for the occasional podcast. No, I think I will continue to live above ground for you. Thank you so much for your kind words. Yeah. Don't deny your Morlock heritage. Well, no, of course not. (laughs) I was honestly sitting here like, you don't do that anyway. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So thank you so much, Amanda. Seriously. And uh, I think we can say one of us, one of us, one of us. So (laughs) this is how cults start. That is, well, I mean, we're fine with that. Tell me more. My sources this week are Ben Johnson on Historic UK, Megan, nope, Malin Solly on Smithsonian Magazine, Rebecca Star Brown, Historic Royal Palaces, Matt Lewis on History Hit, George Northcroft, the Wikipedia article about him, English Monarchs, the uh, .co.uk, H. Magalchi, Adventures of a Tudor Nerd, Matthew Lewis on the History Press, David Crowther on the History of England, Wolverton and District Archaeological and Historical Society, Bruce Haight on British Heritage, and Leanda Delisle on Tudor Times. My sources for this week are Wikipedia, both the article about the princes of In the Tower, and Edward IV, and probably a couple more that I'm going to find during the show itself, uh, as I am one to do, independent.co.uk, livescience.com, and hrp.org.uk. My sources this week are historyextra.com, arstechnica.com by Jennifer Olette, independent.co.uk by Paul Gallagher, and historicuk.com by Ben Johnson. My sources are the Crowland Chronicles uh, by a bunch of folks back in the 15th century, uh, the Chronicle of London, also by a bunch of folks in the 15th century, uh, the usurping, the usurpation of Richard III, Dominicus Manicus, and uh, Angelorum Cantatum de Acapatiane Regne Angli de Ricardum Tertium Liberless, uh, translated to English by C.A.J. Armstrong. I think a fucking uh, demon Wikipedia. just appeared in my living room. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh, Wikipedia, and uh, I just made a whole bunch of stuff up. And the fantastic BBC History Extra podcast, eight episodes on the Princes in the Tower, which featured many of the sources that Christie is using. <laughs>